You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Bayshore, Millsboro, 1030. So glad you're here. And uh, what a great service we've had already with these wonderful baptisms. Such a great group today after Thanksgiving. It's so good to see everybody. And uh, I got on the scales this morning after all those starches and carbs, and it wasn't good. I'll tell you that. How about that? How many ate a little bit too much? It was amazing, though. So I'm so glad that you're here today. And a great, great Thanksgiving, post-Thanksgiving group here today. We're in a series called Christmas Before Jesus, and uh, that sounds like that's not right. You know, Christmas can't be Christmas without Jesus. But in the Old Testament, there were all of these prophecies that pointed to the coming of Jesus, that Jesus was coming, and it was predicted in the Old Testament over and over and over again. There's this guy named um, Alfred Edersheim. He's a very famous scholar, and he says that the Jewish people believe that there's 456 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament uh, speaking about the coming of their Messiah. And of course, Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. Christ is anointed one. It's the same word as Messiah, Christ the Messiah. Jesus Christ, same thing as Jesus the Messiah. So the prophecies in the Old Testament are prolific. They're there everywhere in the Old Testament speaking about the coming of Jesus. Christmas was not an afterthought in God's mind. It was something that he prepared carefully in the Old Testament, preparing us for the coming of Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. One of my favorite historical figures is Eleanor Roosevelt. Eleanor Roosevelt, of course, the wife of Franklin Roosevelt, uh, who led us through the Great Depression and World War II. Eleanor Roosevelt didn't get along with her mother-in-law too well, Sarah. Sarah was not very nice to Eleanor, and uh, so Eleanor had her own house away from uh, where Franklin and his mother lived, and which is a way to make a marriage work, I guess, so that's what they did. It's called Val Kill. It's in Hyde Park, New York, if you've ever been there. But Eleanor Roosevelt had a Christmas closet, a Christmas closet, and her deal was that every year... She prepared for Christmas all, dear, all year long. On her travels, whenever she would travel, she would see items that she thinks maybe one of the grandkids would like or one of the, uh, uh, or Frank would like. Or, and he would, she would buy these presents and put them in her Christmas closet. And when December rolled around, she would open the door to her Christmas closet and she would take out the gifts and wrap them for Christmas. So she was constantly preparing item by item for Christmas coming. God did that too. In the Old Testament, God puts in his Christmas closet prophecies about the coming of Jesus, that Jesus is coming. And Jesus was born at the perfect time in history. The perfect time in history Jesus was born. It says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. The new living translation says, at just the right time, Jesus was born. He came in the perfect time in history. 
It's a perfect time because the interstates of the Roman Empire were in place. The Romans had been building roads throughout the Roman Empire uh, during their reign and their conquering of territories. They had 250,000 miles of roads, 26 main military roads, 50,000 miles of roads that were paved. And when I was teaching the book of Acts in our men's group that meets uh, every other Tuesday, 6.30 in the morning, we were studying in Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 17, where Paul went from Philippi to Amphipolis, and then from Berea, and then finally to Thessalonica. He's going down a road, a Roman road, the Via Ignatia Road. So the roads were in place when Jesus was born, so that when Paul got the gospel, he would travel through all of the Roman Empire preaching the gospel. So Jesus was born at the perfect time when the interstate system was in place. The Romans used it to collect taxes and to quell rebellions and send their armies down these roads. But Paul walked down these roads to preach the gospel. Jesus was born at just the right time. There was a universal language in place. Everybody in Jesus' time spoke Greek, Koine Greek, which means common Greek. 300 years before this, Alexander the Great, who died in 323 B.C., traveled around the world and conquered territories. And everywhere he went, he Hellenized, and he taught Greek culture, and he taught the Greek language. So when Jesus was born, there was a universal language that everybody spoke. So Paul didn't have to think about what, what uh, language am I going to write this letter, and he wrote it in Greek because everybody read Greek. When Luke wrote his gospel, he didn't have to think, you know, who, what am I going to write and what language am I going to write this? And he wrote it in Greek. It's a perfect time in history when Jesus was born. It was a perfect time because there was a disillusionment in the world toward the Roman gods. The Roman gods were, you know, they, were, they had lost faith in the Roman gods. And the gods were petty, they were jealous, they were uh, promiscuous, and they would fight. And these Roman gods were supposed to protect their cities from, from disease and terrible things happening. And the Roman gods didn't seem to be doing The Romans basically took the Greek gods and put a new name on them. And so there was a disillusionment with the gods. And so when Paul and the apostles began to preach about the true God, began to preach about Jesus, there was this openness to receive Jesus because they were disillusioned with the Roman gods. At just the right time, Jesus was born. All the prophecies were in place. It says in Galatians 4, uh, in the fullness of time, at just a great time. It's the word pleroma in the Greek, and it means really it's like a ship being outfitted with the cargo it's supposed to have and the, and the crew it's supposed to have. And when the ship has all the crew and all the cargo in place, the ship can sail. That's the word pleroma. At just the right time, Jesus was born. You know, God has a perfect time for everything. I got to go this week to... Uh, a wonderful adoption ceremony with Joe and Laura Keenan. They adopt their little son, uh, Zion. Uh, they were in the... Uh, it's a wonderful celebration. 495 days. 495 days waiting for, to adopt this little boy. They were in the, uh, the system of caring for kids, the foster system, and they were willing to do whatever they wanted to do to help. And they, this little boy, Zion, came into their life. 
And there was all these ups and downs, eight months of training and house visits. And finally, when I walked in that courtroom and sat there with them and sat behind them, and, and the courtroom was filled with excitement because the judge says, most people don't want to come to court, but this is a great day to come to court. And they adopted little Zion at just the right time, the perfect time. Jesus was born at just the right time in history, but he was also born in the right place. The Bible says in the book of Micah or Micaiah is how the Hebrews would say it. Micaiah 5, 2 through 4. 700 years before Jesus was born, there was a prophet named Micaiah who said that this Messiah would be born in a specific place. He would be born in Bethlehem. Here's what it says, but you Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you were small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Out of you, but you Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you were small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who is, will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. That's the place he was supposed to be born. But there was a problem. Jesus was in the womb of Mary, and he was living in Nazareth in the womb of his mother that lived 80 miles away from where they're supposed to be. But God in his might and God in his power and God in his glory and God in his strength and God in his sovereignty moved upon the, the Caesar, the Octavian Augustus, tapped him on the shoulder and said, it's a good time for a census, good time for us to take a census so we can have better taxing and have a better system of collecting revenue for the empire. So he issued a decree of Caesar Augustus that the whole world, the world he knew of, would be taxed. And they should go to their homes to register, their ancestral homes. And so Joseph and Mary, they travel 80 miles south to Bethlehem. And at just the right moment, they get there in just the right moment for Jesus to be born in the right town that he's supposed to be born in. The right town, the right place. This is where the prophet said 700 years earlier, where Jesus was to be born. And what's the deal? Why Bethlehem? Well, the prophet Micaiah says that though you are small among the clans of Judah and you're the least among the clans of Judah, out of you will come a ruler. God does insignificant, God does great significant things in insignificant places. God does great things in insignificant places. Bethlehem is not even listed in the list of Judean towns in, in several passages in the Old Testament where Judea is covered, and Bethlehem is not even listed. Bethlehem is little, it's tiny, it's podunk. Bethlehem is Gumboro. <laughs> you know how many people lived in Bethlehem? Well, scholars say that maybe 2,000, 
Maybe 3,000 people lived there scattered in the valley around the hills surrounding them around, the, around Bethlehem. Those limestone hills with caves everywhere. Little, little, tiny place Jesus would be born. Because God wants to show us that he can do great things with little places. God can do great things in an insignificant place. You know, little, little, tiny Bethlehem. You know, the lights weren't flashing. It's not Las Vegas. It's not New York City. It's not Atlanta. It's not even Salisbury. It's Milton, maybe. Milton is 3,500 people. Milton is bigger than Bethlehem was. And God does extraordinary things in insignificant places. I looked up when I was getting ready for this sermon. I looked up Gumboro in, uh, on Google, you know, Google. I said to Google, you know, typed it in. How many people live in Gumboro? Well, Gumboro's all wrapped up with Millsboro now. So you really can't find out the population of Gumboro. It's all like wrapped into Millsboro. We have a Millsboro uh, zip code now. And we're Millsboro, we're part of Millsboro, long next part of Millsboro, 31,000 people in this area. And I couldn't even find Gumboro, but Wikipedia took me to Gumboro. And you know what it says about Gumboro? It says Gumboro is the home of a large church named Bayshore Community Church. We made Wikipedia. Can you say a big amen? <laughs> you know, God's moving when you make Wikipedia. This is God moving when you're in Wikipedia. I didn't even know it was in there. There's not a lot about Gumboro, but we're in Wikipedia. This is my anniversary here today. <laughs> 42 years ago, I came on this Sunday, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. It was cold and it was blowing and 60 people in the church the first Sunday I came. In months, 20 people were here. Most of them were family members. <laughs> and a lot of the family was thinking about leaving the church. It was not a good time. But God does great things in insignificant places. I was in a warehouse before I came here today, preaching in Femic Island. Warehouse, really good crowd this morning, parking lot full. And, uh, and while I was preaching in Femic Island at that moment in Rehoboth, Delaware, under a sub shop, is a church that now has 300 people plus that are meeting under a sub shop in a basement, and God does significant things in insignificant places. Can you say a big amen? But you are small, Bethlehem, small, least in the clans of Judah. You're tiny, you're small, but out of you will come a ruler. So when you're feeling insignificant and when you're feeling inadequate, when you're feeling like you don't have it, you're not smart enough, you don't have enough money, you don't have enough time, you don't have enough patience, you don't have enough grace to deal with the pressures of life, the Bible says that out of you, a ruler has been born in you and God will do significant things through your insignificance. He is able do more than you can ever ask or think.
He is faithful. He will take care of you. He will bless you. I'm riding through the swamp this morning on the way here from Fenwick Island. I'm riding through the swamp, burnt swamp. And I'm riding through the swamp. I come out of the swamp and I see those wonderful fields and I begin to feel the grace of God, the mercy of God, the goodness of God, how the Lord has taken care of us and how the Lord has blessed our church over these last 42 years. God is faithful. God is the ruler of all things and the significance that you, maybe the insignificance you feel can never limit what God wants to do inside of you. You're small. And then it says, Bethlehem, why Bethlehem? Well, it's insignificant. God takes little, takes a loaves and fishes. He takes a five pieces of bread and two little fish, and he feeds a multitude. He takes Gideon in the book of Gideon, who says, Gideon says, you know, he's hiding in the wine press, and the Midianites are coming around, and, and he's hiding there, and he's feeling insignificant, and he's feeling low. And the Lord says to uh, Gideon, rise up, old man in a valor. And Gideon looks around, and he said, I'm the least of my family. I'm in the smallest clan. And God says, I will be with you, Gideon. God will help you. God is helping you. He is helping us. Bethlehem. It's Bethlehem where Jesus was born because Bethlehem was the home of another famous person. It was in Bethlehem that David, King David, was born. King David was born in Bethlehem. He wasn't King David when he was born there. He was just a little shepherd boy, part of a farm family that raised sheep. And if you read the book of Ruth, you get the whole story. You've got Boaz, who married Ruth, and then they had a bunch of kids, and Obed, Jesse, and then David. And do you know who Boaz's mother was? Boaz in the book of Ruth, the rich farmer, his farm was in Bethlehem. He owned probably most of Bethlehem when, when, uh, his, when David's great-grandfather was born. Boaz's mother was Rahab. You can read it in the genealogies in Matthew. His mother was a prostitute. It was Rahab was his mother that was on the walls of Jericho. In fact, in the genealogy in Matthew, there are three prostitutes listed. That's what you call Christmas, ho, ho, ho. You know what I mean? Built this whole sermon around that joke right there. <laughs> but Ruth marries Boaz, and they have a boy named Obed. Obed had some kids, and he had a little boy named Jesse. And Jesse had kid after kid. He had seven kids, and his wife looked at him and said, No more. Man, no more kids. These kids are killing me. And one night, the candle was glowing and the wine was flowing, and there was a wink, and then she got pregnant again, and she had a little boy, and they named him David. A little boy, the eighth child of Jesse and his wife. Little David, wasn't even, probably wasn't planned. How many know that People that aren't planned by human parents are always planned by their Heavenly Father. 
So when Samuel the prophet years later came to anoint a king out of Jesse's house, the Lord says to Samuel the prophet, go to Jesse's house and there you are to anoint the next king of Israel. The best and the brightest of Jesse's family walked in front of him, seven boys, and Samuel scratched his head and he said, there's not a, I don't even, I don't, this doesn't feel right. There's just not the right the right person's not here. And do you have any more sons? And Jesse said, well, I have one little boy. He's out there tending the sheep. He's out there on the side of the hill. And he said, go get him. And they bring David in. He's covered with sheep manure. And he's little, little, little diminutive kid. And God anoints David. And he becomes the greatest king that Israel has ever known. He conquered the Edomites, he conquered the Philistines, he conquered the Moabites, he conquered every enemy in Israel, and David was the great warrior, and every king since has been compared to King David. But it says in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that when David wanted to build the temple, God said, no, you can't build the temple, I'm going to have your son build it, but your son Solomon out of his line and out of your line, David, there will come a king that will reign forever and ever and ever. And if you read the book of Revelation, it says of the king of kings, the Lord lords, he will reign forever and ever and handles Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever and ever. And this new king is born in Bethlehem, the place where David was born, and Jesus was the son of David. He had to be born in Bethlehem because the prophecies in the Old Testament says that he will be a descendant of David. So he was born in the right place, in the right place, place ordained by God that he would be born in this little place called Bethlehem. Bethlehem also because Bethlehem means house of bread. House of bread. That's what the name means, house of bread. And Jesus says in John chapter 6, John chapter 6, he, he says that I am the living bread of life. I've come down from the Father and I am the bread of life. And every human being that's created... Every human being, doesn't matter if you're Gen Z, doesn't matter if you're a millennial, doesn't matter if you're Gen X, doesn't matter if you're a baby boomer, doesn't matter if you're an elder, doesn't matter if you're rich, doesn't matter if you're educated, doesn't matter what color you are, every human being has a hole in their heart that only God can fill. And over the years, you know, I've, I've stood around... Millennials on hospital beds that, you know, they're taking too many drugs or drank too much. I've uh, seen Gen Zs, these later Gen Zs in their early 20s that are trying to find meaning in life. And, and they've been taught by an education system, hey, there probably isn't a God. And, you know, it's not reasonable to believe in God. And the religious rules are old and outdated. They've been told that and told that. But if you look around our society, is that working for people? It's not working for people. People need a relationship with the living God because there is the only thing that will ever satisfy our heart is the bread from heaven that will fill our heart. Jesus said, he who eats of me who eats the bread of life will never be hungry again. This uh, Thanksgiving when 
We had Thanksgiving dinner at uh, about 3 o'clock at our house, and the kids came, grandkids came, and, and I didn't eat anything all day. I was saving up for that big meal. I didn't eat a thing. Boy, 3 o'clock rolled around. I was hungry. I was so hungry. And man, I went there, and I piled my plate up. I mean, it was like a balancing act, walking that plate there, macaroni and potatoes and uh, a turkey and cranberry sauce and pretzel salad and and pineapple salad and coleslaw how many are getting hungry right now as I'm just going through this and I ate that and man I felt so good see man is spiritually hungry and Bethlehem means house of bread house of bread Jesus said I am the bread of life Saint Augustine said he said, my soul is restless. My soul is restless until it finds its rest in thee. We are restless people. We are restless. We are empty. We are hungry. We need a relationship with the living God, and we will never be filled until we have the bread of life that fills our heart. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, so that we don't have to be spiritually hungry anymore. We can be fulfilled, and we can be happy. We don't have to overdose. We don't have to take too many drugs. We don't have to drink too much because Jesus can fill our heart and Mick Jagger is wrong. I can't get no satisfaction. You can get satisfaction through the Lord. Can you say a big amen? House of bread, home of David, insignificant place, and then it describes the Lord this way. The one born in Bethlehem will be like this. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you were small among the clans of Judah, out of you, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler of Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. This ruler that's going to be born in Bethlehem, Micaiah the prophet said, his origins are from old, from ancient times. That's an interesting description. Here's what that means. In the Hebrew, ancient times means days of unmeasurable time. Days of unmeasurable time. That means that this ruler that's going to be born in Bethlehem is going to be born in Bethlehem and his his origins are from old, from ancient times, and it means that it's in measurable time. This ruler will have always existed. This ruler did not have a beginning. This ruler has always existed from immeasurable times. As far as you can go back, this ruler has always existed. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. You know, they, you look at the biblical history and what the Bible says about life, and it's so wonderful what it says about life. And we have about 6,000 years of history in the Bible and how God created things in the beginning and how God's behind all of creation. The book of Colossians says that that without him, nothing was made that is. In other words, that everything that exists, God has created, that Jesus, in fact, it says in the book of Colossians, that through Jesus, everything was created. He is the creator. He's created all things. If you believe in the Big Bang, 13.8 billion years ago, 
13.8 billion years ago. That doesn't discredit the Bible. It just shows that, you know, we have 6,000 years of history, human history in the Bible. You know, I think God was up to something before then. And Carl Sagan says, you know, the beginning of the Big Bang, a point of singularity, where the universe was compressed in a point of singularity. Then all of a sudden, 13.8 billion years ago, there was an explosion, and the universe was hot, and it began to cool down, and there was life that was created, and light was created. The first thing that was created after the explosion of the Big Bang was light. God is light in him. There is no darkness at all, the scripture says. Carl Sagan was asked, what happened right before the Big Bang? Carl Sagan, the great cosmologist, what happened right before the Big Bang? And he said, I won't go there. He has always existed. He is bigger than you can think. He's strong, and he's mighty, and he's everlasting, and he's filled with wisdom. It says in the book of Revelation, when John saw Jesus on the Isle of Patmos, his hair was like white wool. Speaking of his wisdom, his eyes were like burning fire. He could see and understand all things. Jesus, born in Bethlehem, whose origins are from old. Our God, Jesus, is bigger than we think he is. He's greater than we think he is. Every year at Christmas time in our family, and this is a wonderful tradition that Karen's mom started a number of years ago, is we have a, a birthday cake for Jesus. We celebrate Jesus' birthday, and it's good for the grandkids and all that, and, and, um, and it's always a Watergate cake. Do you know what a Watergate cake is? It's kind of like that green icing on. It's, it's like the worst cake you could ever eat, basically. But we have the Watergate cake, and it's a tradition in our family. And I think it's good. We, our, our kids, our grandkids know it's about, you know, Jesus, Christmas. And, but I always play the devil's advocate. I always say, how many, how many candles are we supposed to put on this thing? 2,000 candles? He's born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. That wasn't his birthday. That was his arrival. How many, how many candles do you put on a birthday cake for Jesus? Well, you'd have to put as many candles on the birthday cake that would be 10,000 times brighter than the sun, but that's not good enough. He's always existed. And if he's always existed, he's going to take care of you. When you're going through the stuff you're going through, stuff with your family, stuff with your job, stuff with things in life, Stuff with your children, stuff with the work stuff, stuff with your finances. And you come to him, you're coming to him whose origins are from old. He's wise enough to handle any problem you or I could ever have. Say that with me. He is wise enough to handle any problem I could ever have. So the Magi in the Christmas story, Matthew chapter 2, they come to Jerusalem looking for the king because they've seen his star in the east. And they came from the east. Most people, most people think they came from Babylon. 
And if you were to measure from Baghdad, which is Babylon was, is now Iraq, and if you were to measure from Baghdad to Jerusalem, you'd have about 900 miles. So these guys are dedicated, and they're not Jewish. They're coming looking for Jesus, and they're not Jewish, showing that Jesus is coming not just for Jewish people. He's coming for the whole world. They come looking for for this, the king that's born, and they saw his star, and they go to Herod, Herod the Great, Herod the Great, the psychopath. He's a psychopath. He killed two of his wives, or one of his wives, his favorite wife, killed two of his sons. Caesar Augustus said it's better to be Herod's hog than his son. And there is this crazy man in control. He's a builder. If you go to Jerusalem, no, not a good idea right now, but if you ever go to Jerusalem, you'll see all the Herod's handiwork. He was a great builder. He's called Herod the Great because he built so many great things. But he's intensely jealous because he's not really Jewish. He's uh, an Edomite. He's from a different part of the, he's southern Judah, not really a Jewish guy, and they don't like him. And so when these people say there's a, we come to worship the king of the Jews, it's it's a trigger point. And all of Jerusalem is troubled with him. And they call they call the chief priests and they call the scribes to find out where the Christ, the Messiah, is supposed to be born. And they come in and they just said, Micah, Micaiah, chapter 5, verse 2, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. No brainer. And he sends the wise men to, to Bethlehem and they, he says, come get me when you find him. I'm going to come and worship him, and which is a lie. And here's the thing. The scribes who knew the scripture, the scribes who knew the verse, the scribes who knew Micaiah 5.2, the scribes who knew that Bethlehem was where the Messiah was supposed to be born, they lived five miles away from where the Messiah was being born, and they didn't go. And you got wise men that aren't even Jewish, that don't even know the Bible, and they're coming 900 miles because they have a spiritual hunger Define the Lord. And these scribes, five miles, the greatest moment in history, and they don't go. Why? Well, maybe they just believed it was theoretical. Maybe they didn't believe it's really true. It's just, it's just a scripture. It's just a scripture that was written a long time ago. Maybe they didn't believe it. Or maybe they had stuff to do. Or maybe... They were afraid that if they left and Herod the Great saw them get out of town and go toward Bethlehem, they knew that Herod was capable of killing anybody, and maybe they thought we better just stay put because they were afraid of going to worship Jesus. And it takes courage, it takes guts to serve Jesus. If you're a Christ follower, it's time for you to come out of the closet, be faithful to your faith, let people know that you love Jesus. Don't be afraid to speak up for Jesus because we should not be ruled by fear or cowardice. We should be ruled by boldness. Now, I don't mean be obnoxious or weird or overbearing. I've had Christians before. I wanted to slap myself. You know, they were, they were just a little overbearing. When I was in high school, I wore a cross, and I took a Bible to school. 
I found the Lord when I was a young guy. And some days, I wore my cross outside. And it was a witness point, and people knew I belonged to Jesus. Other days, if I was going to see the cheerleaders or if I was going to see somebody, <laughs> I tucked it in. Some days I took the big Bible to school. Sometimes I took the little Bible. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me and my words in this generation, I will be ashamed of you when you stand before my Heavenly Father. I don't know what that means, but it is sobering. Come out of the closet for your faith. I said to these people in Fenwick Island, we got some rich people in that church. We got people that got some money. I said, you may have a big old house and all that. And, uh, but you need to stand out in front of your house and be bold. You need to come out of the closet for your faith. Don't worry about what everybody's thinking. Don't worry about your status in society. You be a Christ follower with all of your heart. Years ago, I went to, uh, a couple years ago, Tim and Joel, my sons, took me to, uh, and Barry Duke. So we all went to a Ravens game, a Thursday night game. And they were, uh, it was in December, it was cold. I remember fourth quarter, I was sitting in the stands and I couldn't move my face. My eyes were frozen open, you know, I was like so cold. I remember coming in that stadium that day, but they were playing the, the, uh, playing the New York Jets. And there were a couple guys standing in line, had their New York Jets shirts on and their New York Jets beanies and those Raven fans were just making fun of them and cursing them and just, just really giving them a hard time. And you know, when it comes to your faith, you got to put your jersey on. You got to be courageous. I believe that those scribes and those priests didn't leave Jerusalem because they were afraid of what Herod would think. And Paul says in Romans chapter 1. One of my favorite verses, and I want to be like this, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone believe, the Jew first and then the Gentile. Karen and I were at Panera Bread the other day, and when I go to Panera, I always get the uh, teriyaki chicken rice bowl, and when I pull in the parking lot, they see me and they get it ready for me, and I go in there. <laughs> and we're sitting there, we got our food, and out of the corner of my eye, I see a young couple. They're probably in the 30s. And the restaurant is filled with people. And they reach across the table and they take hands. And they bow their heads and they prayed over their food and blessed their food. And it wasn't a short prayer. I mean, they just prayed. And I was just so blessed to see that. I want to go over and give them a high five. Say this with me. I am not ashamed of Jesus I am not ashamed of the gospel. And, the, and you need and I need to come out of the closet for our faith. Five miles. Five miles. Well, a number of years ago, there was a, a professor, music professor at... University of Tennessee, his name was Kenton Wilson, and he was teaching a, a music survey class, and he had a three-page syllabus. And on the second page of the syllabus, he put a little hidden 
line in there that says there's a locker on such and such hallway and here's the combination to the lock on the locker and inside of the locker is a $50 reward class started in September September October November and finally December 8th the class was over and he goes to the locker unlocks the lock and the $50 is still in there and he put it on Facebook the message was there the code was there but nobody responded when Micaiah wrote Micah 5 2 but you Bethlehem Ephrathah though you are small among the clans of Judah out of you will come from me one who will be ruler of Israel whose origins are from old from ancient times it was the second page of the syllabus how many are grateful that you put your faith in Jesus and you have never turned back just say a big amen if you've decided to follow Jesus would you lift your hands to the Lord right now if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus you're not a Christian you don't belong to the Lord and you wonder if it's real let me tell you something you connect the dots in the Old Testament the New Testament you look at the true message of the Bible it's overwhelming of how great the God is that we serve and you can follow him and serve him and you can love him and he's the bread that came out of Bethlehem the house of bread he'll satisfy your soul you're gonna have some ups and downs in life like everybody but deep inside you'll have the joy of the Lord it says in Nehemiah the joy of the Lord is my strength father we can have joy doesn't matter what age group we are millennial Gen Z boomers whatever we are baby busters whatever we are doesn't matter our age doesn't matter our education we can have the joy of the Lord in our life in the midst of adversity because you have come and you are greater than we can imagine you have always existed you've made everything that was ever made you hold everything together the book of Colossians says by you everything was made and you hold everything together and you hold our lives together we pray your blessing on us. We pray for people here this morning that haven't accepted Christ. There's people here, a number of people in the audience today that have not received Jesus. And we're not going to call you forward and rub your head or anything like that. All you need to do is call upon the Lord right now where you're at. Say, Jesus, save me. I believe you're real. I believe you're real. Forgive me of my sins. I have really messed up. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. Call out to the Lord and you will be saved. And make him Lord of your life. Quit running your life and let him run your life. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you take a moment, just lift your hands just like this to the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit minister to you. As we start a new week, we go into this week filled with the ruler of Israel, filled with Jesus, Christ in us, the hope of glory. We go into this new week with strength and power and a vision. You're going to help us this week, Lord. And we worship you like the wise men. We bow at your feet. We open our treasures and we give you our life in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. 
A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.